looking at the first chapter today, the very first chapter of the book of Psalms. The very chapter of David's Psalms. And the Bible said, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, you might have a recreational habit you love to do. Maybe in your spare time when there's, no, there's nothing on your priority list demanding your attention, you turn to that favorite recreation, running, hiking, walking, biking, uh, camping, whatever it is, fishing and hunting. Whatever your recreation is, you delight in that. Your heart does not need to be promoted to go there. It's automatically there. You don't have to be prompted to do, to do things you delight in. His delight, his response, his immediate reaction is in the law of the Lord. And in that very law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But are like the chaff, the hull which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, verse 6 says, knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Taking my title from the first four, three or four words, Blessed is the man. Look at somebody and say, blessed is the man. You may be seated. One of our visitors today is an old, old friend, Brother Craig, back there in the white shirt. So honored to have him with us today. I, I, I had the privilege and the honor of baptizing several people in his family way back in in the 90s, and, and the old, obviously in the old sanctuary. But uh, what a tremendous honor to have you, brother, and, and your wife today, each and every one. As we hope today somehow you can leave here better than you came. That's how I want to leave, better than I came. Here, here is the beauty of inspiration versus theology, in case you care. Inspiration is the thing God's Spirit naturally does to believers. It inspires us. It revs us up. It gives us fuel. It puts fuel on our fire. Inspiration is something we all enjoy being under the umbrella of at any time God plans to do it. Inspire me, God. Writers get inspired. Musicians get inspired. Electricians get inspired. Great discoveries are made under the banner of inspiration. Most occur where you're inspired to break outside of the mold or outside of the box that your life has you in. Inspirational moments are desired. We want them. We love them. But we cannot live our life according to the, the gains we make in momentary moments of inspiration. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be fired up to keep your commitments in life. 
You don't have to be revolutionarily inspired to get up and go to work. You know you've got obligations. And there are things that are depending on you. People, places, and things. You may not be inspired, but obligation is making you get up and do it. We don't live. We hope, we hope to understand at least that we don't live by the occasional inspirational moments. We take advantage of them. We take everything we can from them. We extract strength for the moment from them. But we know good and well in the spirit, Monday's coming. That's where people that want to live by the wings of inspiration disconnect from me. Theology tells us the good and the bad of David, Solomon, Judas, Peter. Inspiration says, just tell me how Peter overcame. Inspiration says, just tell me how David overcome. Theology bears it all. It shows us how they struggled when they weren't inspired. And it shows us how they overcame in the same moments. Well, Psalms chapter 1 is where inspiration and theology cross. They intersect. They come together. You might be a person that if church isn't running wide open 90 miles an hour, you go home and think, well, we didn't have church today. Or you might be a person that looks at it and says there was no content in the Word today. There was no depth. There were no nuggets. There was no meat there for me to sink my teeth in. So, because all we did was shout and run. And I love the moments of both. Any mature child of God loves to be inspired, and they love the nuggets of God's Word that grow their experience in the kingdom. It's not all about the shout. No, it isn't. But when I'm inspired, get out of my way. I'm going to shout. But I'm not staying home because I'm not, not inspired either. I want nuggets that allow me to put my feet on solid foundational truths. And it comes together like that in Psalm chapter 1. Not just in Psalm 1, but a beautiful picture of it is in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. You know, in certain places in the Scripture, not only are we allowed to question, but I believe God even expects us to question, to ask, what is prompting the author to tell me this right here? That's not inspiration. That's theological. What in the world is God trying to convey to me have you ever read book of Job, and, and while you're reading the lines of the book of Job, you've got your mind trying to connect to the picture of the book of Job, and you think, what in the world is God trying to do here? People that are strictly inspirational, they'll look at the book of Job and speed read everything till the last chapter. And then they want to get up and talk about how God turned the captivity of Job. That's inspirational to me. But there's a whole lot of reasons that led up to the place where God finally turned the captivity of Job. That's theology. 
Hallelujah. What's he talking about? Why, why start this glorious book of poetry off with blessed is the man? For example, before I leave the thought, not only we are we given the privilege to ask, I believe at times God wants you to ask. What's going on here, God? How, what am I supposed to get out of this? What am I supposed to get out of this scripture, this chapter, this book? God expects us. You go to dig for treasure, you're not going to dig with your hands. You're going to get some tools. How deep do I have to dig? What's the soil like? Is it going to be rocky or just sandy and clay? You prepare to uncover the nugget by your efforts is what I'm trying to say. And so somewhere God unctions you. He nudges you. Ask me what's contained in here that you don't see by skimming over it. One of those places that always stops me in my tracks when I'm reading is when Jesus is on that mount of temptation. And the Bible said in Matthew 4, 1, then was Jesus led. Then was Jesus led. Then was Jesus led. You could say compelled, channeled, directed, pushed of the Spirit. It was beyond his flesh. It was beyond his sonship. It was beyond his office, his 33 and a half year position of sonship. Then was Jesus led. You know why God gives people the Holy Ghost, don't you? To guide you into all truth. That's why it's perfectly normal when people come from the religious world into truth and they've already been baptized with the Holy Ghost. God gave them that to guide them to lead them into all truth. But he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, inspirational huggers. Into the wilderness. Unsure. The navigation isn't clear. Footing isn't solid. I don't even know what's above the next Horizon, or what's beyond the next horizon? Oh, Lord. Years ago, Brother Dave, um, my dad and I were hunting my, up above the Moose Knob. We were almost to the basin of that valley, or to the basin of those mountains, where that dry creek, where that creek bed runs parallel. And we were in that tall grass up there near in mid-September that grows, and and I, all I had was a, a pistol on my chest. My dad was hunting, and he had his rifle. We came up with a larry through one of those deep, grassy fields, and they're kind of on an uh, elevated slope. And there's this cottonwood that's fallen across the open, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's large, large enough that you, you, know, you can't just throw your leg over it. You have to you know, interrupt your process of movement and so um, I get across the log, and I said, okay, Dad, let me, let me hold your gun. And my dad, is he's every bit of 77 or 78 at that time. So he's 
getting across this big cottonwood. And he gets across and he's collecting himself and, you know, getting together. And God is my holy witness. From here to Sister Wendy's row, this bull moose stands up behind us out of this deep grass. And all I could see was horns. It just, I mean, all I could see. And, yeah. And I'm like, here, dad, 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 here, dad, here. Trying to hand him the rifle, and he's flustered, trying to get it together. And if you've been that close to an animal that large, like a horse or something like that, they can make a lot of noise when they take off. The thunder of their hooves is amazing. And needless to say, he, the alders from here, from here to Brother Justin, and, and he just went into that thing like a, like a bullet had been shot out of a barrel. No, we didn't get the moose at all. He left that day empty-handed, but we were inspired like crazy at that point in time. We were fired up. We were fired up. But Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, the places where the footing's not so sure, and you're not exactly, you're not exactly aware of how you're going to make it through point A to point B. And the very reason Jesus was led there was very uninspiring to me, to be tempted of the devil. We don't, we don't like that. And by the way, and it's a good Bible study if you ever have the time yourself, look, look in the scriptures, the difference between, between temptation and trial. I mean, it might seem like a thin line, but there's quite a gap there. The trials of life come to anyone and everyone. That's part of living. Temptation is a totally different story. Although, if you're not praying real hard and not asking God for, for the uh, ability to distinguish, one might look like the other. Enough of that. Let me get on to my, point, my points here. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit. That's one of those scriptures that I feel like God is telling me, stop and talk to me about this. Why would the Spirit lead him into the wilderness to be tempted? But my mind and your mind eagerly grabs the picture that the words are painting. And so were David's circumstances immediately. What was in his mind? What was he thinking about? Why was he writing, blessed is the man? You feel real? A couple weeks ago we had iron sharpens iron, and I asked every panelist up there, the first thing I said is, are you blessed? Are you blessed? David's not asking that question. David's declaring the statement. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. By the way, now if I were to ask you today, if you love the Psalms, I heard Brother Tomes mention this morning, he's, he, he reads there frequently. And if you love the, the Psalms, I would venture to say, if I ask you, if I ask you to tell me what the most notable psalms of all 150 are, I would venture to say that 75, three out of four people would say 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Read that and just feel comfort come into your soul. Well, from Psalm 1 to Psalm 23, theologians tell us, were two decades of time. 
20 years minimum. And so David acquired this maturation through time and through life and through trials and tribulations. 20 years. But in theological circles, Psalm 1 is literally referred to as the elite work of David's pen. Period. Unquote. When David started, he went right to the top. He never, according to what I read, the mind of very intelligent theologians, and I, I would surrender an amen and a selah at the same moment to them, that David, royal, most royal moments of writing, was Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man. It's like the team captain of a psalm, of the trendsetter. It's the thing that sets in motion David's mind and David's place or position in the kingdom of God with the Lord. Blessed is the man. I'm not sure if you and I have ever succeeded at anything we tried to do the first time we tried it. I mean, you carpenters, you skilled technicians, Guarantee you the first doghouse you built, you can do a better job today down the road. There's a reason first-time first doghouses all have flat roofs, you know, because we don't know what to do to get to that point. But the more you grow in your skill set, you develop knowledge, and you learn how to make things better that you just survived with previously. That's not what's going on here. David literally writes the best he's ever written when he says, blessed is the man. It is the finished result before he even kicks out of the block. One writer said this, and I quote, Psalm 1 becomes an instant classic from the moment you set your eyes on it. When you read, I'm quoting, when you read Psalm chapter 1, you get the feeling that it will never be topped or even duplicated, unquote. It's model, it's exemplary, quintessential, all the above. And what's David trying to talk to us about? The blessed man? No inspiration there. The blessed man? And here comes theology. The ungodly man. If all we do is sink our teeth into, I'm blessed, I'm an overcomer, I win, I win, I win. I get it. I get hype. I get it. And I like it. But I don't grow from hype. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. Can you tell? Look around. And if I had a team in the mix, which I do not, if I had a team in the equation, which I do not, I would be inspired today. And sports is so fleeting, the, moment, the momentary joy it brings you, it's just so, so fleeting. You can get really up and you can get really down. That's the deception of it all, particularly, particularly er, uh, aggravating to me, at least. David wants to settle two things in my mind, both inspiration and theology. 
One, a godly man is blessed. That, that so provokes inspiration in me. That so tells me there's a cause to this. There's a reason. It so tells me that how if you're down today, it's not going to stay that way. Wait till tomorrow. Inspiration offers me hope and dream and ambition and zeal and joy. God uses inspiration just like a, a technician uses a tool. He knows exactly, exactly when to come walking on the water to the boat that's in the middle of the storm to inspire us that all will be well. But David's second point is that ungodly men are not blessed. So I ask you collectively today, are you blessed? How do you know that you are? Like I ask these. Is it just something you feel? That's inspiration. That's like saying, are you happy you got a $100 an hour raise? Duh. I'm inspired now. I want to go to work at that. I'm, I'm inspired by it, rather. Inspiration is good, and it's a tool in God's box. But we're not blessed because of a feeling. We're not blessed because of a hope. No, we're not. We are blessed because the Bible said God said we are blessed. Whether we have an abundance or lack, whether you're skilled or not, whether you're pretty or ugly, whether you've got a good job and an amazing career or you're struggling to survive, we are blessed because God said we are blessed. And David's setting this agenda for life here. Check it out. He says, blessed is the man that. Here come the conditions. Don't give me boundaries, Pastor Herring. I'm inspired. I'll check on you tomorrow then. Blessed is the man that. Means, all right. Here come the conditions for being blessed. Extract there from there your desire to say you're blessed because of your job, your looks, the amount of attention you get. You got to take all that out. The conditions are the agenda of life that David says. Wrap your mind around this. The first thing in David's list of conditions is this. Who do we hang around? I don't get that. God, you gotta, you got to talk to me about that. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man that has got his mind made up. He's going to live for God. He might be running for his life from Saul, but he's living for God. It's not a question to David as to whether he's going to make time to pray today. It was part of David's makeup and DNA. It was part of his chemistry to talk to the Lord. Blessed is the man that. Condition number one. Walks not in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly. 
come on, I, I, I feel like I'm way down here, David, and you're, you're way up here just passing me by, and I, I can't sink my teeth. I see where this comes into play somewhere down the road in my Christian experience, but why is it first? Why is it foremost? Why is it out front in my walk with God? Remember what Jesus said about sowing the seeds? And he said, on one, on one ground, immediately comes the devil. Seed is sown, and immediately. I'm not trying to allude to the point that some people in our life, after we feel inspired or get through inspiring moments in life, that some people are sent by the devil. But I do believe this, that bad company, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, in the ESV, ruins good morals. Once again, that's theology. We're not shouting here. We're sure not shouting today, are we? I, I believe there's a few people that would agree with me today in the room that I, I grow more when you offer me the nuggets and the basis of the Word of God Without any smoke screens. Don't, don't trick me into something. Don't dupe me into believing all will be well just because I come to the Lord. Look, it's going to be better, I'm telling you that. Facing life without the Lord, that's hell. Facing life with the Lord, good things are on the way, all right? Good things are on the way. But it does not extract all influence of evil out of your life. I've mentioned this recently. There are days, I'm sure you would agree, there are days that I ask God, God, I, I think I'm doing what you're asking of me. No doubt some things I'm maybe ignorant of, but to my understanding, I'm doing what you told me to do. And life doesn't seem to be working. Oh, you're negative, Pastor Herring. The NIV of that scripture, you won't have that, sister, but it says corrupts bad company, corrupts good character. So blessing doesn't mean like it uh, in the Bible, doesn't mean like we, I think Brother Rick explained this the other night so well, blessing doesn't mean like in, in the Western understanding of it, you know, elaborate things and big uh, grandiose situations and all of the above. The word is esher in the, in the Hebrew, E-S-H-E-R, and it simply means happy, joyous, at peace with God and others, unquote. So I'm going to say it again. Blessed is the man, happy, joyous, at peace with God and others. That walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's nothing more discouraging. I don't think that's hyperbole, but there's not much more discouraging to a mom or dad than to see a just a sudden light to dark change in their teenager. It's like, well, this wasn't you yesterday. What's going on? And so any concerned parents start, 
parent starts probing, starts looking in their bedroom, starts looking under their pillows, starts checking their phone. Any concerned parent will do that. Now, look, kids go through stuff, and adults go through stuff. But one of those warning signs crying out to any concerned parent is, my son wasn't this way yesterday. My daughter wasn't acting this way last week. Who's in her life? Who's influencing his thoughts today? Who's he hanging around all of a sudden at school? Who's influencing her to make silly statements like that? Good, good matters can be corrupted by evil communications. Good people, loving, caring, helpful, compassionate, tender, understanding, merciful people can jekyll to hide overnight because people come into their world and influence them. No wonder David's trying to tell me it's important who influences you. It's very, very important who speaks into your mind. Look, a lot of people chatter and make noise and talk. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who do you let inside the, the area of your brain where you make choices, good from bad, left from right, up from down. Who are you letting in that place of life? Oh, but she's pretty. Oh, but he's so hot, Pastor. As you have all discovered by now, people can be the source of pain as well as the source of joy. David is establishing something. I don't like your direction you're going, Pastor Herring. I'm preaching from your Bible. <laughs> Blessed is the man that. I didn't read on there this Inspiration 101 this morning on the bulletin board. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. No mistaking what David's trying to tell me here. If I want to succeed at living for God, I've got to hang around influences that inspire my growth. You must delight in God's word, he said, and meditate day and night. And if we do that, if we meet the conditions, if we measure up, God said we'll be like a healthy, strong, vibrant tree, fruitful tree. I can't even begin to tell you the remorse in a pastor's heart that goes on when people who used to sit in the front row and shout at everything preached start meandering their way back. I'm not shooting at anybody today. I'm being theological. Is that all right with anybody? Well, I'm not very inspired, but I'm still preaching the truth today. It, it hurts a pastor because you see it. And every time, every time you confront it, oh, all is well. All is well. They don't come to the altar anymore. Jesus said, David said, by the inspiration of the Lord's Spirit, whatever you do will prosper. Blessed men that are careful about the influences of their life will prosper. Men and women, young and old alike, that are cautious about things they allow into their decision-making processes will prosper. You'll prosper in health, peace, relationships, 
finances, testimony, outreach. And this is, to me, another one of the many examples in the Bible where inspiration meets theology, where the rubber is meeting the road and we're told plainly how to be blessed. I want to shout when I hear the words, blessed is the man. That's that western side of me thinking. Raises, promotions, mansions. Esher in the Hebrew has zero to do with that. Now he gives us all things richly to enjoy. The Apostle Paul said that. So I'm going to accept that at face value. Those are just the fruits of being a blessed person. Those new cars you're driving, those nice little things you have and enjoy, those are the fruits of being a blessed man or woman. But people that love God will still be blessed even if they sell those things or lose those things. They're still blessed. That's not inspirational. That's theological. That's where you seek your teeth in the truth of God's word. You grow and you mature. And you're not looking for someone to pat you on the back and burp you. You've been in 10 years. You shouldn't be wearing diapers. Hello. You ought to be able to handle a little theology once in a while. A little meat in the word of God. Blessed is the man. So, 2024 is a year of blessing for you. I know that. If we'll reevaluate and set in order three things. Who you hang around. And you don't have to have them in your home to be qualified for hanging around. They could just be things that speak into your life. Worldliness. Styles and things of the world inspire us to be like them. What was, what was wife, the wife of Lot's problem? What was her problem? God got her out of the biggest destruction in the Old Testament of, human, of the human race. She couldn't even celebrate one day. <clears throat> influences. The influences of Sodom caused her to just try to feel that old feeling one more time. Oh, if I could just get that feeling one more time. 2024 promises blessings if I will inspect and adjust the influences that work against me every day. If you've got friends in, in, in this world and companions or people you hang out with and they're worldly and they're lustful and they're crooked and they're deceptive and they're sneaky your, your inward nature might be drawn to that because maybe that's out of the same cord we were cut. But somewhere maturity, spiritual reason has to say, this isn't helping me at all. It's making me resent God, making me resent the church, the pastor, the things of God. And somewhere in 2024, you've got to make up your mind. I, I'm going to rid myself of all negative influences in my life. Shout. 
Number two, what you think about. What you think about. You can only change the pattern of thoughts by reinserting more powerful thoughts. Thoughts. That comes from the Word of God. That comes from good fellowship. Good fellowship. Hey, I'm, I'm in the front of the line when I tell you that people, multitudes of people have burned me over the years. Multitudes. And, and you, it, that's just life. But you can't use that standard to keep you from seeking out good godly fellowship in the present. Because people have hurt you and wounded you and bound you and hindered you and obstructed you. Is not just cause in the eyes of God to close everybody out from here on out. As I told you Wednesday night, you're robbing me. I need your testimonies and I need your encouraging texts and I need your encouraging words of, uh, of wisdom. I need it. So encourage yourself. Clean up the influences of life and the thoughts that are influenced in your mind. And how much do you really trust God today? I want to ask you that. How much do you and I, how much do we really trust God? This may all have its roots in accidents of life and conditions of our past, but it's not God's fault. If anybody should have a clean slate in my mind, it's God. He's the only one sometimes I think is trying to help me. And the second phase or phrase, both, that I want to draw attention to is verse 6 of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 verse 1, blessed is the man. Well, I'm behind on my rent. All kind of hell in my life. Blessed is the man. How beautiful when a person can say, in spite of all of that, I'm blessed today. I'm blessed today. And the second thing is because the Lord knows. The Lord knows. We know he's omniscient, has all knowledge. But that's not what David's talking about here. He knows exactly what you're dealing with in life. If you're hiding something, he knows it. If you're holding something back, he knows it. If you're two-timing, he knows it. If you're insincere in any capacity of life where you should be better, he knows it. But I just want to say that for theological reasons, because the real intention here is inspirational. The Lord knows, meaning it's going to be all right. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you're at. He knows the problems you're, you're bearing the weight on your emotional shoulders. He knows the money problems you're having, the health problems you're having, the emotional struggles you're dealing with. He knows the marriage problems, the church problems, the job problems. 
He knows the personal issues. He knows. But he knows in a way that is inspiring to you and I because God's got it under control. It will not take you down. It will not be your end. It will not destroy you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And even though you're dealing with theology every day, the victories and the defeats of Israel, put them in your life. You're dealing with that every day. Any, is anybody here a note, a life note taker or maker? Do you make notes like, man, this has been a good week? And I'm not saying you advertise them on Facebook. I don't have Facebook, but, but I mean just a personal little look back at this like I've mentioned numerous times and, and look what inspired you or what angered you or what depressed you or what. I put a lot of those things in the, in the marginal area of my, my two Thompson Chain Bibles. But I, I'm, I'm assured today of this, that theology comes, that victories are yours. So are battles. Someone told me this a long time ago, and it's, it's so true. That as you grow in your Christian walk with God, your battles get bigger. Oh, pastor, you, I thought you were trying to build a church, not tear it down. But the rest of that statement was, but so do your victories. Your victories get larger, clearer. Why is that? Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Extract from your mind today that he's talking about the front row or the musicians. He knows the way of the righteous. People do right. I know righteous has a, it has a spiritual application throughout all of the New Testament. And, and the, the blood of the Lamb applied gives you a garment that's white, according to John in Revelation. That's righteousness. But right here, he knows the way of the righteous. People struggling with life, trying to do right. The Lord knows where you're at. That, that should inspire us. Because when you want to say, why isn't it working, God? One thing about the Lord. I, I've never heard him say or point out to me that he's offended at anything I've ever said to him. He's never sent me a message, don't talk to me for a month. I'm still dealing with your smart aleckness from last month. Never told me that. And I can bring my, my little thinking to a big God. He immediately processes what I'm going through, what I'm fighting, the tools I have to overcome the struggle. Because basically most people want to do right. You're sick of failing, aren't you? Sick of losing. Sick of falling. Sick of struggling. And or, Oh, here I am, God. Told you I was going to quit smoking. Told you I was going to quit drinking. Told you I was going to quit looking. Told you I was going to quit talking. And here I am again apologizing again, God. 
You didn't take God by surprise. Right now, after you've apologized, he knows the next time we're going to do it again. The beauty of his grace is that he meets us where we're at. He knows what we're going through. And that comforts me and inspires me. Because if God be for us, who can, who can be against us? So blessed is the man takes on different light to me. Not because all is well in my physical world, but because he knows what I'm going through. No wonder David tried to set me straight from the get-go. Blessed people will go through valleys and mountaintops. Isn't it funny, though, any of you, anybody's ever climbed a mountain in this room or a hill? Or any, isn't it funny how much trouble you go through to get there and you stay just a flash? Boom. All right, time to go down. I know, you get cold and all the wind, I get all that. But you work like crazy. You get up there, snap a few pictures, send a few texts, back down you go. That's just the way it is. It's exactly like life. Mature people know you can't live on top of the mountain. That's inspiration. What pushes you back? You've, what pushes you back up that hill? You've been there a hundred times. The inspiration at the top. You can't explain it. Nothing's changed. Scenery's exactly the same. I've got pictures from the top of all these hills 25 years ago. Nothing's changed. But I'm greatly inspired just to make it, all right? <laughs> Blessed is the man. Thank you, Lord, today for your loving kindness and what you're doing and what you've done strength of the Word of God and the Spirit of the Lord, the hope of the gospel, the peace of God that's in these precious people's soul. We ask you for renewing, God, today. You know where we are at. You know every struggle we are battling with today, every temptation, every trial, every issue, every distraction. You know everything I am dealing with, God, today. Would you let that comfort permeate every mind in this room? Would you let that comfort of the fact that you know where we're at and what we're going through, and you're still with us, you're still with us, would you comfort every single person, young or old, male or female, good day or not a good day, inspired or not, would you comfort our hearts today with the fact that you know where we are at? Hallelujah.